All right, guys, can we give a hand real quick for Timmy? Is Timmy not the best salt director ever? You guys, Timmy is amazing. You do not understand the gift and the leader you have. And Timmy and Dylan and Lindsay, we love them a lot. It was a really, really sad day when they left us in Cedar Falls to come here. But to see what God has done because they stepped out in faith and did this is so worth it. And so it's been fun. We love coming to visit and see our friends. Hey, if you have a Bible or if there's one under your chair, so you can go ahead and open up to Philippians. That is in the back half of the Bible, page 517-ish. If that's wrong, somebody can shout out the real page number. But Philippians 571. All right, 571, that's where we're at. Philippians chapter two is where we're gonna be at tonight. Uh, and I shared a little bit about myself, but something, to me, what's the password again? 1995, there we go. <laughs> Hopefully no one steals this and uses it. Now everyone knows it, 1995, if you need to get into Timmy's iPad. Uh, <laughs> and his credit card pin for everything. You can rob Timmy Blind now. But uh, hey, one thing that you don't know about me that would not take very long uh, to learn about me if we got to know each other is I am like totally radically average at like literally everything. Seriously, in the most like accurate and genuine self-assessment of myself, I am like one of the most middle of the pack type people you've ever met. Like. Whatever rating seal you use, four out of 10, out of everything, all right? I'm a, I wasn't great in high school. I wasn't a 2.0, but I definitely wasn't a 4.0. I'm a four out of 10 driver, probably less. Laura would say less than that. But like I did sports in high school, wasn't great at sports. I did music, wasn't great at music. Like I am just your like very everyday average Joe. And actually I had a friend in college tell me one time, he like looks me up and down. And he just goes like, Andrew, you know, you have the most forgettable wardrobe I've ever known. <laughs> and it's so true. He's like, like, I'm sure you wear clothes, just none that anyone would remember. <laughs> and which is true, you guys, no one ever compliments me on my clothes because I just, again, jeans and a t-shirt. This is seven days a week. It just is what it is. Thanks, boss. It's the first one. I feel so good about that. <laughs> anyway, you guys, middle of the road, very average, very ordinary. Okay, and I have wrestled with this my whole life because I desperately wish that wasn't true. I have fought so hard. I just wanna be elite at something. I just wanna be great at something. And if you guys are anything like me, you probably feel a little bit of that of yourself. Like, don't we all want our lives to matter or want our lives to count? Like, we all want to live, live a life that has some sort of impact that matters in the world. We want to live something greater than ourselves. I think if you guys are anything like me, you want to live the type of life that matters once you're gone. And I'm telling you, tonight's passage actually gives me so much hope and excitement for my life. Because this passage in Philippians 2 tells the story of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that are really average, really ordinary men that did extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And we don't know much about them, but I actually think that's intentional because it gives us hope that just like your normal, everyday people, whoever you think you are, if you don't think you're that special or that gifted or whatever, God has a plan for you. And so as we unpack this text tonight and as we look at the lives of these two guys, here's the question that we're gonna be answering. How can ordinary people follow Jesus and change the world? How can ordinary, everyday people follow Jesus and change the world? Because we've been in Philippians, right? And there's been some incredible text talk, like to live is Christ and to die is gain, but that's really hard. 
And we talked in Philippians 2, like lay down your life, consider others as more important, take on the humility of Christ. And that's like a really noble, really aspirational thing, but that is also really hard. And so what do the people like you and me who like are like just trying to figure out this Jesus thing, who don't feel that spiritual or don't feel like maybe we belong or we're like that good of a Christian, how do we follow Jesus and still change the world? You guys, I'm excited to see how that happens tonight. And so look with me at Philippians chapter two, verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. All right, and so the first guy we get introduced tonight, his name is Timothy. And here's all we know about Timothy. We learn just a little bit about Timothy in a different book of the Bible called Acts. So Acts 16, here's all we know about him. One, we know where he's from. Two, we know that his mom and grandma were Christians. And three, we know that he was already a believer when Paul met him. All right, so from a small town in like ancient Jerusalem, had a mom and grandma that knew Jesus and was already a Christian. All right, I resonate with that testimony, okay? I don't have some like, wild, crazy story about how I was shooting up black tar heroin and then came to know Christ in the back room of a poker game, all right? That's just not my story. If that is your story, that would be sweet. We should chat after salt because I wanna hear that story. That's not mine, you guys. I'm from Iowa. My parents are very white, very Christian, very conservative, all those things. So I came to know Jesus at an early age, all right? I have the most, like I said, plain and ordinary life. And I think it's not like, it's a very fair assumption given what we know about Timothy. It was probably the same thing. His grandma was a Christian, his mom was a Christian. And so at an early age, he became a Christian. And that was probably just his reality. And I used to think my story was so boring. And I used to wonder, man, is there anything in my life that God would actually want to use? Like, I know he saved me, my family's Christians, that's sweet. But am I like actually gonna have an impact in the kingdom of God? And here's what's true. Where you come from doesn't determine where you can go. And your background doesn't define your future legacy. No matter how normal or ordinary or boring you think your story is, God loves using people like that. The entire Bible is filled with stories who are radically ordinary, filled with stories of how God used people who never thought they would be used by God to do amazing things. And here's this guy, Timothy, who has that type of story, that type of like uneventful story who goes on to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Look what Paul says about him in verse 20. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not that of Jesus Christ. How can you be an ordinary person who follows Jesus and changes the world? You seek the interests of Christ and the interests of others before your own. If you wanna change the world, if you wanna be an ordinary person that follows Jesus, consider others' interests as more important than your own. You see, the reason Paul wants to send Timothy to them is because Timothy, he says, he's the only one that I can trust that when he shows up, he's gonna care about you guys more than he cares about himself. Paul wants to send Timothy to them to shepherd them, to teach them, to encourage them because he knows 
that the whole time Timothy is there, he's gonna have an others-focused, outward mentality. Have you guys met anyone like this? I have a friend like this. His name is Jordan, and Jordan is the type of guy that totally lives this out. He's like the guy that you're like 15 minutes deep in in conversation, and you realize that you have done all the talking because he's asked you one intentional question out of another. You're like, I've shared my whole life story. What's up with you? He's like, no, I care about you. Jordan's also the guy that gets more texts to like help people move, to serve, to help out with things than anybody I know because he is so happy and willing to do it and even pull others in. Like Jordan is just this incredible others-focused guy. And the reason Jordan is like this is because he genuinely cares about the interests of others more than the interests of himself. His main goal in a conversation isn't to be heard, but to make the other person feel heard. Salt Company, if I ask the people in your life, hey, whose interests do they care about most? What would they say? Or pose this question to yourself. Whose well-being do you think about more often? Yours or the other people in your life? Do you wake up and think, how can I benefit other people? How can I serve other people? Or do you wake up and think, what do I need to do today? What am I gonna get out of today? Where are you guys at with that? All right, here's, here's a way to gauge it. This might not be the best way, but it's a way. And this might not really resonate with the women in the room, but dudes, you're totally gonna know what I'm talking about. So I lived in college houses with friends all the way through college. I lived in some dingy college houses and apartments. And in every college pad that I lived in, there is this unspoken game that we played called the trash can game. All right, maybe some of you guys are already, here's how the trash can works. The objective of the trash can game is to never be the one that actually has to take the trash out. Am I right? Here's how you play. If you have a piece of trash and you walk it over and it's overflowing, but somehow, some way you can balance the piece of trash, maybe you shove some stuff down and you can get it to stay on there without it falling off, boom, you won. You don't have to take out the trash. You can walk away. You lose if somehow, some way you can't like rearrange, I have rearranged trash before <laughs> to get more trash on it so I don't lose this game, all right? And if you put it on though, and no matter what angle you set it at, no matter rearrange, it falls off, you lose. And you actually have to be the one to take the trash. Guys, how many of you play this game? And you see the hands are going up. We play this game, all right? You can play it with dishes too, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> So we play this trash can game, but here's what's like bubbling under the surface of that. I know it's fun, and there's, but there is a reality to it. Is this unspoken game, it happened in my heart because I thought my time and effort was more valuable than my roommates. When I saw their trash and their dishes, the first thing in my mind was, I don't have time for that. They need to figure it out. Guys, I'm wondering how much better of a gospel picture I could have shown to my roommates if I lived out this principle that instead of thinking I was too busy or my time was so important that actually I valued their time more than my own. You know what, what would it have looked like if I like, you know, they have tests, they have stuff to be at, I'm sure they're busy, I'm sure this wasn't intentional, I'm just gonna do their dishes for them. I'm gonna think about how I can benefit them. Because what would it look like in your life if you genuinely considered the interests and the benefits of other people as more important than your own? What, how would this room, how would Salt Company be different if you walked in here and instead of thinking, hey, how am I gonna come across or what can I get from this? 
Instead, you walked into this room and who needs to feel heard right now? Who needs a friend? How can I serve? How can I help? How can I set up? How would even Salt Company on a Thursday night be different if we took on this mentality? But here's the reality. That is really difficult for us, right? I mean, it is so much easier to think about ourselves first. We have to put little to no effort in to be self-oriented. It is so easy to be most concerned about how we are affected by certain people and situations. How could we ever be like that? How could we ever be the type of people that genuinely consider others' interests as more important than their own? Well, we can only be that type of person because we have a savior like that. You see, we can put others first because we follow a God who puts us first. The craziest thing is Jesus would never ask us to do something he is not willing to do himself. And the reality of the gospel is that God put our interests before his own when he sent his son Jesus to die the death that we deserved. Salt Company, I promise you that Jesus might have felt like it was not in his best interest to, interest to die a brutal death on the cross. And I promise you that the father's decision to let his son face his wrath so that you and I didn't have to, was not a selfish decision. Because what was happening in that moment is that Jesus himself, he was looking at you and he was looking at me. And he saw in our life the mountain of sin and guilt and shame. Every time we've disobeyed, every time we've failed to live up to that standard, he was looking at that and he saw the guilty condemnation that was on our life. And he saw that it was in our best interest to take that away. And so instead of counting up the cost, instead of counting up what it would have cost him, instead of deciding if he would or not, he stepped out of the throne of heaven and he stepped down onto earth. And from the moment he was born to the moment he died on the cross to the second he rose again three days later, Jesus sought your interests above his own. That's the gospel. Is that Jesus would look at you and would see your sin and see your disobedience and choose to put your interests above his own and die in your place. Isn't that amazing? That the God of the universe, like literally like God, the creator of the world, the one who holds it all things together would look at you and say, I'm going to choose to value what's more important to you than myself. You guys, we are freed to value the interests of others because God is the one who has thought about your interests. When we think about that, when we think about the reality that the God of the universe would do that for us, there is nothing that we shouldn't do for other people. It is easy for me to think about how to serve other people when that God would do that for me. How easy that must be that Jesus has done that and given you that same spirit of humility. You see, your best interests have already been taken care of. You are freed to think about the interests of others because God is the one who is thinking about your interests. He cares about you about your needs and about your wants. And he is taking care of it, I promise, because he took care of your greatest need on the cross. 
And so we as Christians have the unique privilege to be actually free and able to serve other people and think about them. Because God is taking care of us. We don't have to get ours. He's doing it for us. So you wanna follow Jesus? You wanna change the world? Be a person that thinks about the interests and well-being of others before you think about yourself. Timothy was like this. And this takes no skill, this takes no winsome personality, this takes no giftedness, you just have to be ordinary. And you just have to be willing to think of others. Anybody can do that. Timothy was like that. All right, what else do we learn? Look at verse 22 with me. He keeps going about Timothy. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself would also come. All right, so what's the second thing that ordinary people can do to follow Jesus and change the world? They can say gospel goodbyes. If you wanna be an ordinary person that follows Jesus and change the world, you say gospel goodbyes. What does that mean? Well, look at the affection that Paul has for Timothy. In verse 20, Paul says, I have no one like him. Directly translated from the original language that this was written in, it says, there is no other soul like mine. Paul like viewed Timothy as the only person in the world that shared the same like soul level brotherhood with him. There was no one in the world closer to Paul than Timothy. And later on, he says like a father and a son, we've labored together. They traveled together, they worked together, they lived life together, they were inseparable. And yet, because of the gospel, because there were other people who had not yet heard of Jesus, they chose to separate. They chose to say goodbye to one another to do work separately so that some people could meet Jesus for the very first time. They said gospel goodbyes. You see, ordinary people Saying goodbye to the people they love the most so that others can meet Christ for the first time is how the world gets changed. Saying goodbye to the things you love most so that other people can meet Jesus for the first time is how the world gets changed. And so my question for you tonight is what do you need to say goodbye to? What do you need to say goodbye to for the sake of the gospel? See, for some of you, it's our own awkwardness and insecurity. We don't wanna like ruffle the feathers in a relationship or we're fear of man, we're feared of rejection. And so I would never bring up spiritual conversations. I don't wanna share the gospel with that person. I don't know how it's gonna go. Some of you need to say goodbye to the fear of man and goodbye to the fear of awkwardness for the sake of someone meeting Christ. Others of you, you're like, dude, I don't even know Jesus. I'm not even saying I'm a follower. Like, what do I need to say goodbye to? I'm not gonna stop saying no to things. Actually, for those of you in that camp, some of you have a gospel goodbye to say to an entire lifestyle. You need to say goodbye to your sin. You need to say goodbye to the days where you are living for yourself and you're living in the shame of guilt and actually meet a savior who takes those things away from you. Some of you need to say goodbye to a life where Jesus is not your king and make our King Jesus your king. Would tonight be that night? Some of you, that's your goodbye. For others of you, there is another gospel goodbye that might look more similar to Paul and Timothy's. You have a decision to make when you graduate. One day you will all leave this place and you have some decisions to make. You have the world at your fingertips. You need to get a job and buy a house and do those things. 
Are you gonna make that decision as a business person or as salt and light of the world? Are you gonna make that decision trying to be as comfortable as possible or are you gonna make it for Christ? Because there are some people that are my heroes. There are some people that I look up to because they have said goodbye to the people they love and comforts and opportunities that seemed easy for the sake of the gospel. One of them is named Sarah Salt. Does anybody know her? Sarah Salt. You guys, listen to what Sarah said. She wrote, I officially moved all of my things to Cincinnati this past June without any potential leads and teaching positions. Wild and a little bit reckless, but I love it. It was the first week and I was in Cincinnati that I finally got to schedule some interviews that landed me where I'm currently working today. My family and some of my best friends now live eight hours away. And since moving, I've had to miss family holidays, weddings, et cetera, due to travel, time off work. Entering into sacrifice, no matter what the size, for the sake of the gospel, lets Christ be proclaimed, not only in our hearts and mind, but also in our lives. You guys, Sarah said goodbye to some people and some circumstances that she loved the most so that people in this room could hear the gospel. As I look up to Sarah, she's living this out. As I look up to Timmy, listen to what Timmy said. He said, two years ago, Lindsay and I moved away from the closest and best community we have ever been a part of. We were serving in a healthy church with a thriving college ministry. We lived by our best friends. Our families lived close. We left four beautiful and fun nieces and nephews that we now only get to see twice per year. And during this time, Lindsay lost a sibling and we are not physically able to mourn in person with her family. We left what was familiar. We left the culture we grew up in. You guys, Timmy and Lindsay said goodbye so that they could come here and teach you guys about the greatest message they've ever heard. You guys, in this last one, it's really special to me. Aaron Neal. Aaron Neal was a groomsman in my wedding this last summer, and he was one of my best friends growing up. We have known each other for so long, and when no one else was there for me, Aaron was, and when no one else was following Jesus, Aaron was, and I just feel like we are these brothers. And he moved to Cincinnati, you guys, and part of me wishes he didn't, but here's what he said. He said, for me personally, moving to Cincinnati was not an easy decision. I had grown up in the same community. I went to college there and lived in the same city almost my entire life. My whole family, along with eight nieces and nephews, lived there, and we are all super close. I've had to say goodbye to seeing them often and realizing that we will not have as close of a relationship as we would have had otherwise. I trust that we will be able to talk to them as they grow up about gospel goodbyes and the opportunity that we have to leverage our lives for the gospel. Because this room is only a reality because people made that decision for Christ. These are normal, ordinary people who are willing to say goodbye to the people they love the most so that people in this room could meet Jesus for the first time. Who will be on the other side of your gospel goodbye? Just think about the people, the places you might go where someone hasn't had the chance. When you say goodbye to the things you love the most, who might be on the other side of your gospel goodbye? You guys, normal, everyday people can choose to uproot their lives for the sake of the gospel, and God uses that to do extraordinary things. It doesn't take a personality, it doesn't take giftedness, it doesn't take skills, it just takes a willingness. Ordinary people saying 
gospel goodbyes to what they love the most is worth it for the gospel. Guys, and if that's hard for you to think about it, just think about this. The greatest gospel goodbye ever said happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ looked his father in the eyes and said goodbye and stepped away from the comforts and riches of heaven itself and literally tore the Trinity apart so that you could have a relationship with them. Jesus Christ said goodbye to his father 2,000 years ago so that you could be part of that relationship too. You guys, that's amazing. Gospel goodbyes, they change the world and each and every person in this room can do that. Anybody can do that because Jesus did the really hard thing so that he could accomplish the very best thing, the salvation of souls. Jesus did the really hard thing so that he could accomplish the very best thing. It is worth leaving what you love to leave a legacy that's eternal. You want your life to matter? It is worth leaving what you love to leave a legacy that is eternal. And that's Timothy. He was an ordinary man. He sought the interests of others above himself and he said gospel goodbyes and his life mattered. Nothing spectacular about him. We don't have some amazing biography of all the books he wrote or how big of a super Christian he was. Just an ordinary man that sought the interests of Christ and said gospel goodbyes for the sake of, of Jesus. So that's Timothy. There's one more person in this and one more thing about him, all right? Look with me. Philippians 2, chapter, or verse 25, it says this. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. So we first talked about Timothy, now we're on Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so what did we learn about him? Basically, the only thing we know about Epaphroditus is that he almost died. He risked his life for the gospel. All right, so I get it. We've taken a huge leap here. We started of like, yeah, serving other people, thinking about them, and now we're like, hey, risk your life for the gospel. All right, have you ever come close to death before? Anybody, any near-death experiences? A couple of people. Okay, I've had a lot, probably just because I'm stupid and try dumb things, but one of them, all right, we were at my friend's lake house uh, down in Missouri, and we're all like looking across the lake, and I'm like, oh man, wouldn't it be, or somebody said, somebody else was like, man, wouldn't it be crazy if someone swam across that and back? And I'm like, oh, I can do it. And they're like, no. And again, I'm not a good swimmer, five out of 10 at like everything, so middle of the pack swimmer. And I'm like, I could swim across that. And they're like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, I can do it. So, and then they said the worst things you ever say to a cocky high school guy, you won't. 
So I did, so I jumped in, and I'm like Michael Phelpsing this thing for no reason. I'm just going as fast as I can, and it's dusk, and so it's like, you're not supposed to swim when there's boats going by and the sun's going down, just not good visibility. So I make it all the way over there. I'm huffing and puffing. I really don't think I'm getting back. So I'm like swimming. I'm like dog paddling at this point because my muscles are like giving out because who uses swimming muscles on the everyday? No one. So I'm just like doggy paddling and all of a sudden I hear some screaming and I look and this boat is coming like right at me and I'm like, oh no, like they don't see me. So I stop and try to wave, but they're still coming. I'm like, this is it, I'm gonna see Jesus today. So I did just the only thing I think of doing which is swim down as far as I can and maybe it'll pass. And I swim down, I swim over and I come up and I look and the boat had like just veered like 20 feet past me and I was like, oh my word, I thought the boat was gonna hit me and I was gonna drown and so I did that. That's it. That's all the story. I almost died. I almost got hit by a boat. My friends were mad at me. All right, so that was me accidentally risking my life for no purpose. That was for something dumb. All right, but this risking of a life, all right, this like move that Epaphroditus have, it is something that is much more serious and much more intentional risk-taking. All right, Epaphroditus knew exactly what he was doing when he pushed through his sickness and when he pushed through danger in order to help Paul and to plant churches, and he was doing it for Christ. And so the last way that ordinary people can follow Jesus and change the world is be willing to risk your life. Now, that doesn't seem like a very ordinary thing to do, right? Like, dude, risk my life. Like, yeah, I'll think about others first, but put my life on the line? Like, it seems like some radical progression from serving others to saying goodbye to loved ones to literally putting your life on the line for Jesus. Like, this looks like it escalates from normal Christianity to some, like, upper echelon, super Christian thing that we got going on here. But what if all three of those things, even laying your life down for Jesus, aren't extraordinary acts but everyday obedience? Actually, what if God looks at that and doesn't view it as radical, but views it as the right response? Don't you think it's possible and maybe even probable that Epaphroditus wasn't trying to be some like go hard super Christian above the call of duty, but he actually just believed what Paul said in Philippians 1.21, which says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't it possible that he wasn't going above and beyond? He was actually just living up to what that verse calls us to. And don't you think that it's possible that being willing to risk your life for the gospel isn't a radical response, it's the right response? That even something as extreme as that actually makes sense when you genuinely understand who Jesus is. You see, here's the thing. If you view Jesus as just a good teacher, you will never lay your life down for him. If you view Jesus as just a good example to follow or some guy that lived 2,000 years ago who had good morals, then he is absolutely not worth laying your life down. But if you come to know Jesus for who he is, if Jesus is actually who this book says he is, then there is nothing that is too big to sacrifice for him then the response of laying our life down actually makes total and complete and perfect sense. So let me ask you this question. Would you be willing to risk your life for Jesus? And I'm not asking if he's worth it. Clearly he is. I'm asking if you would be willing. 
Salt Company, Jesus is worth more than just your Thursday night. He is worth every waking moment of your life. And maybe men like Epaphroditus aren't just crazy Christians. I think Epaphroditus is just one that sees Jesus for who he really is and what he's really worth. I think Epaphroditus is actually one of the few people who when he lives his life, who when he risks his life for the gospel, isn't being crazy and isn't being radical. He's actually just seen how beautiful and amazing and glorious Jesus is and is responding appropriately. You guys, it's not a sacrifice to give up even the most like dear things in our life. If the God of the heavens can look down on earth and say, you are worth dying for, how could I not look right back at that God and say, you are worth my everything? It is worth it to risk my life, even if it means I lose it because I get to go and be with you. So our company, I need you to hear this. This type of life, this type of radical follow Jesus at all cost life, you don't have to be extraordinary to do it. You just have to follow the extraordinary God who is already there. You don't have to be some upper echelon, good Christian rule following person. You just have to follow the perfect risen savior, Jesus. All you have to do is to be willing. It doesn't take a personality type. It doesn't take a gifting. It doesn't take a skill. It takes a person who is committed to following our King Jesus. Because I wanna close with just one more observation about these men. There is a shockingly small amount that we know about these guys. I'm a big biography person. I have read a lot of biographies on a lot of people, like really thick books. But with these guys, there's just a couple of sentences and a couple of paragraphs and other mentions in scripture. And all that's left of them 2,000 years later is basically what we see here. And you and I are actually not that different from these guys. You see, one day we're gonna die. And we will be buried and our families will plan the funeral. They're gonna buy our coffin, all of that, and we will be buried. And we will be buried in the ground and more than likely there will be some tombstone at the head of our coffin that says our name, maybe a sentence about us. And then it will say the year you were born and the year you died and in between is a dash. And that dash is all that is left of all of your life. Salt Company, what is that dash going to represent? What is going to be the one sentence that is left on your tombstone? For these guys, 2,000 years, they each just get a couple of sentences. It says, Timothy sought the interests of Christ. Epaphroditus risked his life for the gospel. What is your tombstone gonna say? Is your tombstone gonna say, lived for the interests of Christ or lived for the interests of self? because I don't know what happened to these guys when they died, but I can't help but wonder if there were people who stood around their grave looking at them saying, praise God, Timothy said goodbye to Paul, because I wouldn't be a Christian if he didn't. Because who's gonna be standing around your grave praising God for the radical actions you took so that they could know Jesus? So company, we follow a savior who is worthy of that. There's nothing we could give up. There's no sacrifice too big that does not match the glory and awesomeness of our King Jesus. What is your tombstone gonna say? I pray it would be something like these men because we have a savior who wants to empower you to do that. Will you pray with me?
Jesus, I thank you that you take ordinary, everyday, non-special, non-extraordinary people and use them for your own glory. Jesus, I thank you that the things you call us to, that serving other people, that risking our lives, that you did that first, that you were willing to serve us when you died your death on the cross, that you put our interests above your own. Jesus, what an example to follow, but more than just an example, you are the power, you give us your spirit. Oh, Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room who's holding back, for anybody in this room that is wondering if they should go all in with Jesus or have that conversation or confess that sin or whatever it is, would they see your beauty? Would they see how worthy you are and would they run to you and give up everything? Jesus, you are worth it and you have proved yourself again and again by how you've loved us and how you died for us. Jesus, we love you and we worship you now, amen.